Porn, murder, and greed are the things that loom over today's case. This is the story of several people caught up in a twisted web of rivalry that quickly spirals into violent chaos. This is the King Cobra Murder. Hey strangers, welcome back to Beers with Queers. I'm Jordy. And I'm Brad. And some of you may be coming over from our first version of Beers with Queers that we did last year for a couple of episodes. Uh, We talked about like LGBTQI topics and struggles and stuff like that. But this year we're kind of bringing it back and we're rebooting it more as like a true crime type podcast because I think... Both of us are big true crime fans. I love true crime. I'm lazy. I love listening to true crime. Jordy here loves researching true crime, so it really works out for both of us. So what better way is each week I'm going to be researching a new case and then just telling him about it and getting his thoughts and his reactions on it. So it should be a good time uh, and maybe have a beer or two along the way, hence Beers with Queers. Always a beer is a good thing. Exactly. So let's just... Jump right into it without further ado. This week, we're covering the King Cobra murder. So, let's set the scene. On the night of January 23rd, 2007, gay porn producer Brian Cochis was alone in his house in Dallas Township, Pennsylvania. He spent the evening talking on the phone with both his lawyer and film distributor back in San Diego. Now, the main point of discussion was a legal dispute that he had been fighting for almost a year with his main actor, Sean Lockhart. Now, Sean was more famously known by his stage name, Brent Corrigan, which is what the dispute was about. Now, do you know who Brent Corrigan was? I do not know who Brent Corrigan is. Well, he was a huge porn star in the early 2000s. Basically a porn god because his DVDs were selling at over $60 a pop or eight bucks a minute for digital download. And this is just like a interesting little side note I found while researching this case. His movie Schoolboy Crush was the most downloaded gay porn video of 2004. So I consider myself a porn connoisseur. So I'm kind of surprised I have never heard of this person. I'm kind of surprised too because it was like, We'll get more into it later when we talk about some of the controversy surrounding that. Because, spoiler alert, uh, he was actually lied about his age and was underage for the first few that he did. So, But more on that later. So, anyway, Sean or Brent, however you want to call him, since the main feud that started this was over the stage name Brent Corrigan, I'll just be referring to him as Sean Lockhart. So, Sean was getting really famous, and he was making a lot of money. But he figured he could make even more money if he went solo and started creating his own content free from Brian or his porn production company, Cobra Video, hence the King Cobra murder. So, see how it comes all around? But Brian was not about to let his biggest moneymaker get away. And when I say moneymaker, Brent Corrigan literally turned Brian from a disgraced businessman with over $200,000 worth of debt into one of the wealthiest porn producers at the time. In just a few short years of working with Lockhart, Brian was able to buy multiple luxury cars like a BMW and a Maserati. And he owned two different properties worth over half a million dollars combined, which he paid for all in cash. So... He was uh he was kind of living the high life here. He was doing pretty well. And another reason Lockhart wanted to leave was because he was apparently only being paid about two grand a scene, whereas Brian was making close to two million a year. So say what you want about OnlyFans and everything. This is one of the things I actually love about it is that it gives the power of the person that's in the movies to make more money off of it, to, you know... Not become a victim, almost, of someone using them. And that is a very big plus side to only, not just OnlyFans, but all those modern-day sex work websites because you literally are your own boss. You create your own content, and it does prevent you from being taken advantage of by people that 
basically want to use you as a cash cow. But of course, this is early 2000s. This is early. This is early 2000s. We're in about 2004 to 2007. So it was right when I actually think it was right before the first iPhone was introduced. So it was, you know, it was still the early days of the internet. So it was, we were still in the uh, good old fashioned where you actually had to, uh, go to the video store and rent it, or you could buy it off digital download. I don't think Pornhub was a thing yet. I'll double check on that. Needless to say, Sean was a little PO'd. I would be too. Because that $2 million was essentially all his doing. But on the other hand, Brian was furious when Sean attempted to cut all ties with him and began to do everything in his power to stop it from happening. That included filing a $1 million lawsuit against Lockhart for copyright infringement and breach of contract for trying to use the name Brent Corrigan, which he claimed belonged to him and his company, Cobra Video. So now it becomes a legal battle between the two, and until it's settled, neither one of them can make money off the Brent Corrigan name. And, you know, in the porn industry, your name is a big part of, of your brand because that's the first thing people see and gets them to click on the video. So it's basically, they both basically screwed each other over because now neither of them are making money. Yeah, I mean, your name is your major selling point. Like seeing that name on the front of the video is what sells it. So I if he switched and had to use a different name, he would, he'd be starting over basically. Exactly. Like if I like, Colby Keller started using a different name. I, you wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know, Colby Keller is an amazing porn actor from my youth. But anyway, going back to the night of January 23rd, Brian was on the phone with his lawyer going over the final details of the case, and it seemed that everything would work out and the case was about to be settled after almost a year of fighting. Now, we don't know all the details of what happened after Brian got off the phone with his lawyer, but by 9.45 p.m., police would begin arriving at the scene due to reports of a massive fire that had broken out at his home. After putting the fire out, which burned so hot that it melted the headlights of his BMW, yeah, BMW parked in the driveway, police soon realized that this was no accident and that it had actually been a brutal murder. It's really funny how much they can actually, you know, there's a lot of people that think just burning a crime scene is going to cover up so much. But even back in the 2000s, early 2000s, they could still determine a whole lot from a burnt body. Oh, yeah. A lot of, I mean, fires do cause a lot of damage, and it makes it harder, but not impossible to solve crimes. Brian was found lying on the couch. His body and the surrounding area burned so badly that he had to be identified through dental records. But even with the severe burns, it was clear that he had suffered a violent death. The attack on Brian was so brutal that it almost completely decapitated him. His trachea, hyoid bone, and jugular vein were completely severed, and he had been stabbed 28 times, mainly in the chest and abdomen. A lot of the stabs were delivered post-mortem, suggesting overkill on the part of the killer. Afterwards, his killer set his body on fire and left out the front door. And that's another thing is they always say stabbing's a more personal way to kill someone. So not always, but a lot of the times, because you, you got to get right up on somebody and you have to be like stab. It's not like a gun where you can shoot from far away and be done with it. It suggests a lot of anger or personal pent-up aggression towards that person. Especially when they've done it 28 times. That's it. Like I said, overkill. So most of the stab wounds were delivered after he had already died. So he was. Uh, they wanted to make sure he was dead. So one interesting thing to note in the book Cobra Killer, which is where a lot of this information came from, is that all of the smoke detectors in the house had been removed and placed on the dining room table to keep them from alerting the neighbors when the fire, so they wouldn't go off. Except, the killer forgot to remove the batteries, so they just went off anyway. That's a pretty major mistake. It's just a slight oversight. So, and another piece of information from the book Cobra Killer, one really gruesome piece of detail that emerged during the autopsy was there's this thing called frothing with burn victims, and it's where basically all the body bodily fluids uh, erupt from the opening, usually the mouth. And in Brian's case, it was actually erupting from the hole in his neck. So this was a very, very brutal crime scene. There were no signs of forced entry or evidence of a struggle, but one thing that did stand out, 
a newly opened bottle of wine that sat on a nearby table, which, which suggested that Brian was expecting company. Police soon learned that Brian actually was expecting a guest, a guest that could be his new Brent Corrigan. A few days after the murder, police were able to get into Brian's email and quickly found he was emailing back and forth with a young, aspiring porn actor named Danny Mullen. Now, they were able to tell a lot about Danny from his emails because he had actually sent over his application, including photos, to apply for Cobra Video. Danny was a young, fit, and baby-faced twink. Now, do you know what a twink is? It's normally a uh, kind of a thin guy Mm -hmm. with not a lot of body hair that looks really young. Pretty much. The main thing is skinny and hairless. Okay. So it's like I would be considered an otter because I'm I'm fairly skinny, but I do have hair, decent amount of hair, not a lot of hair. And so that's like the it's like Pokemon evolution. So it goes twink, otter, bear. And it's basically they just get more hairier the more they go. Danny described himself as a twink. And The one thing that really made him stand out to Brian was the fact that he looked like he could barely be 18, and that's just the kind of guy Brian was looking for. And this is kind of a gross, skeezy little detail, but Cobra Video was so popular because Brian marketed it as being barely legal porn, meaning actors who looked like they could be younger than 18 having bareback sex. And what is bareback sex? Uh, Sex without uh, a condom. Mm -hmm. Anal sex without a condom. So... Even today, that's very taboo because I think a lot of people have this misconception about the porn industry where it's like dirty and sleazy and all this when it, in fact, it's the opposite. Like all these major porn studios and companies, like you have to take STD tests and all that. They check you. And a lot of the times studios won't work with actors that actually have done bareback sex, like period. And so it's uh, still a hot topic from what I've heard. Now, Brian even described his company as being the erotic essence of youth. So it's a very skeezy term. But people bought it. Another interesting detail is around this time, Brian was actually arrested for sexually assaulting a 15-year-old boy. However, he did not get charged with child porn because the boy... Actually, I'm sorry. However, he only got charged with child pornography because the boy admitted that he'd lied about his age. And then later in 2006, this charge was amended to corruption of a minor. So not condoning what happened to Brian, but he was a less than savory character. And I think that's a theme that we'll touch on as we go along is that he did have a habit of preying on younger boys to be in his videos. And that might have been a hint as to why he was killed so now of course the police began going through all these emails between brian and danny and they found that in one email danny wrote would like to meet with you to talk about filming and stuff don't have much experience with this so i may need to be taught first and that that whole innocent like oh you'll have to show me how this is done i've never done this before sounds like brian's getting set up pretty hard it does but then it's that thing where like He's telling him everything he wants to hear. Oh, yeah, definitely he wants to hear it. I'm just saying this sounds like a setup to me. Maybe. So he came off as being really naive to the whole porn industry and was willing to let Brian pretty much do whatever he wanted, which only made Brian want him more. And he immediately set up a meeting for Danny to come over to his house. Danny asked if they could be alone the first time they met, and Brian agreed and suggested that Danny come spend the night at his place. The final email came from Danny that night that Brian was murdered, and it said, See you around 7.15, depending on traffic. Definitely a setup. (laughs) After Brian's murder, the emails from Danny stopped. Police became eager to talk with him and find out what he knows. So they actually turned to the public for help, which they don't, I don't think do very often, or at least that early in the case. And they released a photo of Danny and actually asked for anyone to come forward that might know him. Surprisingly, it actually didn't take long before someone did reach out to the police and they knew exactly who Danny was. Drum roll. (laughs) Who was Danny? Danny Mullen was not actually named Danny. Plot twist. Really? (laughs) I know. The twists just keep coming. The picture actually belonged to a Navy vet named Harlow Quandra, 
a male escort who lived in Virginia Beach. Police were able to track him down on MySpace. This is this lets you know that this case takes place in about 2004 to 2007. Is MySpace was the king. I came right at the end of MySpace around like 2010, so I was just as it was dying and transitioning to Facebook. But uh, the legends are still passed down through the generations. MySpace used to be the shit. It was. After getting a hold of Harlow, he acknowledged that, yes, the photo was of him, but that his photo is often stolen by catfish all over the world and that he doesn't even know who Brian is. And that is true, uh, which that happens a lot, actually, even today. That happens a lot. Like, just the other week, I think I found three people messaged me, and they're like, this dude has your photo. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't even... I have a lot of uh, catfishers out there using my photos, and have to go through the whole Instagram reporting and everything. Uh, it just seems odd to me that so many people... Uh, there are so many people out there catfishing all the time. It, which, now... I mean, that did lead to the creation of one of my all-time favorite shows, Catfish. But it is really weird when, especially when they're, like, following the same people you're following because they're trying to get the people or the people that are following you because they're trying to get those people to come over to their profile. But then it's like, you have to know someone's going to tell us. That's true. So, And thank you for telling us. Yes, thank everyone. At this point, they didn't actually have anything to hold against Harlow, so they had to keep digging, and that digging led them to an interesting piece of evidence, a photo taken just a few weeks before Brian's murder. It was a photo of Harlow, his boyfriend-slash-business partner at the time, Joseph Krekis, and Sean Lockhart. Dun-dun-dun. See how it's all coming together now? Now, police immediately questioned Harlow on this, and he brushed it off saying... Yeah, I met up with Lockhart to discuss filming a scene together in the future, but I don't know this Brian guy. So police decided to investigate further, starting with both Lockhart and Harlow's boyfriend, Joe. So let's start with Joe. Joe actually had a career in the ministry by the time he was 17 to the time he was 22 at Bethel Temple Assembly of God in Hampton. He claims that he preached all up and down the East Coast, but later on a high-ranking official actually said that was bullshit. And that he never preached. So a shady character already. Or at least a liar. A liar. But what's the difference? Eventually he was kicked out of the ministry and later on the Navy due to fits of rage, as he described it. By that point, he was homeless and struggling to support himself, so he turned to sex work. And in 2001, he and Harlow met in an online Yahoo chat room and eventually met up in person at a local mall. After that, it was said the two never spent a night apart, and they lived happily ever after. I don't think so. The end, if only. No, couldn't leave well enough alone. Joe eventually talked Harlow into leaving the Navy too and joining him in being an escort. Together, the two made bank and created the Norfolk Companions Escort Service. Most of the money was pulled in by Harlow, with Joe acting as his pimp more than his partner. Oftentimes, Joe would actually pretend to be the office clerk of Norfolk and set up sex appointments for Harlow. Nice to have a uh, an assistant at your escort agency to set up your appointments. I mean, it's true love. Which, I mean, that might work for them, but we'll find out soon that that was... Uh, not really working out for them. So they set up a website with the different specials listed, which included $200 an hour for services provided at Joe's home, 250 for any services in a hotel room or other residence, or an all-inclusive service for $350 an hour that included a massage table, multi multiple head shower, king-size bed, and hot tub. According to Cobra Killer, Joe was making about a million a year from Harlow having sex with clients. So not the two of them together, just Harlow. This was mainly because, like Lockhart, Harlow had a baby face that made him look younger than he actually was. So you can see the underlying theme here across these, uh, these websites and such. Of course, when you get that successful, it always leaves you wanting more. And that's exactly what Joe and Harlow wanted. More. The two eventually decided to expand their business and open boybatter.com. Now, have you, do you know what boybatter is? I mean, I mean, the dot com. The, no. <laughs> like, uh, I was going to say, I can, I can guess what that is, 
but we probably shouldn't say it on this podcast. We don't want it to be we don't want it to be too hard R. <laughs> so uh, anyway, boybatter.com was their website. And here's a little excerpt from their official website, which of course has since gone offline, so R.I.P. Boy Batter. See these naughty hotties performing their most intimate desires with multiple cum shots, hot duos, and steamy shower threesomes. Keep a close eye on these boys, because that batter may fly your way soon. That's, that's some kind of, I mean, that's poetry right there. <laughs> so keep an eye out, everybody. That batter might fly your way soon. And if you want that, hopefully it does. So Joe and Harlow launched their website, and it was a huge success. The two were living large and in luxury. Things seemed nice and dandy on the surface, but that quickly became apparent that that was not the case. See, the two of them were actually drowning in debt. Even though their website and business were still turning a profit, they were needing to generate four grand a day, a day, a day, just to break even with their bills. This was starting to catch up with them quickly, and they were desperate to find a solution. Could you imagine having to, like, four grand a day, that's your bills? That is crazy. Uh, I just cannot think of what you would even spend that kind of money on daily. I mean, they're not Beyonce, so. I mean, at this time, Harlow was on his way to being Beyonce boy batter, so. <laughs> Maybe if if things didn't go off the rails here soon, maybe 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 they uh, they would have been living large. Yeah, this would be a completely different story if things didn't go off the rails. <laughs> but anyway, this was starting to catch up with them, and they were desperate to find a way out of this. And they saw their answer in Sean Lockhart. Both men realized that Harlow and Lockhart were extremely profitable on their own, and together they could name their price essentially. For their movies. They saw this as their $1 million movie, as they would say. The thing that would get them out of debt and finally skyrocket them to the top of the porn industry. So, they quickly set up a meeting with Lockhart and his manager, Grant Roy, to discuss the offer. Now, this is approximately two weeks before the murder of Brian. The four agreed to meet up in Las Vegas, where they would all be for an adult entertainment convention, and decided to have dinner at the Bellagio. Now, you've been to the Bellagio, haven't you? I have been to the Bellagio. It's very nice. And that's essentially what they were trying to show off. They set up the perfect fancy dinner, all this expensive champagne at this fancy hotel, and they were like trying to still put on that air of wealth, which is probably why they were four grand a day in debt. Now, Joe and Harlow saw this as the perfect opportunity to wow Sean, so... It sounded too good to be true. They were willing to offer Sean Lockhart 20000 for a single scene or 30000 for a second one with Harlow. The two were convinced Brent Corrigan was the last piece of the puzzle that would lead to all of them coming out wealthy. But there's just one little problem. Can you guess what it is? He cannot use the name. <sighs> Sean Lockhart tells them that he is still deep in a legal dispute with his former director, Brian Kosius, and until that dispute is settled, Lockhart is unable to use the name Brent Corrigan in any way, shape, or form. Even though they physically had Lockhart, it was the infamous name Brent Corrigan that people recognized and would make them buy or download the movie. So without the name, there's no $1 million movie. Especially when they're looking on the internet, you know, the internet search names and everything, that's going to lead them. So it, not having that name, you basically have a nobody, even though you have the same actor. And yeah, that's the thing. It's like, uh, and I'm not trying to say this, like I don't have any inside personal knowledge, but I would assume the name is the ultimate moneymaker for the porn star like the adult entertainer using the name because that's the one thing that gets people to click on the link fast and that's essentially just your whole brand what's well, just kind of like any influencer or celebrity you know it's like if jennifer aniston changed her name in a movie i'd be like i don't know who this chick is and so uh yeah i can see how that would be frustrating you have the actor there in front of you and the one part about him that's going to make you the money is the one part that you cannot use was well, not the one part. It's 
a part that's going to make the money, but it's the major part. There's another part, though, that really makes the money. There is a very big part that makes the money, but the name is what draws you in. You don't get to see the second part without knowing the name. So Exactly. The second part's why you stay. The name's why you come. The second part's why you stay. So this infuriated the Batter Boys. The Batter Boys. Which is what I'm probably going to refer to them now. The Batter Boys. Seeing their meal ticket possibly slipping away, all because of one rival porn producer. So they quickly offered up a potential solution to Lockhart and his manager. Harlow asked Sean... What if Brian went away and didn't come back? Wouldn't that solve the problem? Because I know a guy who would do anything for me. Now, well, Red flag, red flag. Just a little. (laughs) Now, while I leave you with that cliffhanger, let's go back and catch up with the infamous Brent Corrigan, a.k.a. Sean Lockhart, and tell you a little bit more about him because he is the final player in this murder mystery. Sean Paul Lockhart was a junior when he moved to San Diego to live with his mom, brother, and stepfather. He was openly gay and was bullied for it in school as well as at home by his brother who would frequently call him the F word. Sean described his home life as, Growing up, it wasn't encouraged to show a lot of love in my family. I just recall a lot of hate, yelling, and fighting. I don't remember ever having a positive adult role model. And that's very sad. That's very sad. Especially when you're that, not only when you're that young, but you're also gay and openly gay in high school. Like, I didn't know very many openly gay people in high school. And so I couldn't imagine the just hardships that you go through at that, just starting at that young age because of it. Especially, again, this is early 2000s. Yeah, and so a lot of people, I think, get the misconceptions like, this is almost 20 years ago, and now 2022 it was so much different than 2004 2005 but he soon took refuge in the gay district of hillcrest in san diego and became sexually active starting at 16 pretty soon sean met a boy online and began dating a 21 year old named jake and would often travel to be with him in Los Angeles on the weekends. Now, Jake himself was an aspiring porn star and had actually applied to be a model for Cobra Video, but was told, but was turned down because he was too old at 21. But Jake realized that Sean was exactly the kind of boy that Cobra Video wanted and soon began bragging about his new boyfriend to Cobra's owner, Brian, saying, I have the hottest new boyfriend. He's 17, almost 18. And again... Sean was actually 16. There is a lot of people using people in this story. There is, and I think that's another underlying message is a lot of just, especially young people, getting taken advantage of. And so it's just another tragic part of this story, and unfortunately it happens more than it ever should. So now this part is actually pretty creepy and even though it became consensual it started out non-consensual so slight trigger warning here brian asked jake to prove it about his new boyfriend so jake turned on his webcam and while sean was sleeping he took off his shorts and exposed him to brian on the webcam skeezy well brian was immediately hooked and interested in getting to know sean He contacted Sean every day, and the two would spend hours talking online and over the phone. Brian eventually sent Sean a video camera so that he could record a casting audition video of himself masturbating. Again, Brian was 41 at this time, and Sean had just turned 17. But he thinks he's 18. He does think he's 18. So putting that out there is Sean did lie about his age, and he, uh, you'll find out here in a minute that he did create a fake license that made it look like he was six months older than he was and so he they did think he was 18 but again it's a a slippery slope sean happily agreed and would later go on to say that brian was good at talking at him on his level sean said he almost began taking on a father figure role and also noting this part is even though he thinks he's 18 this is a very clear sign of grooming people is a lot of the times the older adult will take on a father figure type role, like nurturing and caring, and it can lead to the younger person unknowingly being groomed. So it's it's almost almost there. 
Pretty soon, the two began seeing each other, and Lockhart shortly made his first movie for Brian in February of 2004, nine months before his 18th birthday. Along with receiving a $2,000 a scene, Brian also gave Sean a 2002 Volkswagen Jetta, brand new rims and tires, a cell phone, and insert and insurance, which is a pretty sweet deal to any grown adult. So could you imagine how that was as a teenager? Oh yeah, having insurance, and a car, and insurance paid for, and a cell phone. So and having money to get away from a non-ideal home life. Basically, and you know, and I think that's part of it is Sean definitely saw this as his way out of that, you know, troubled upbringing. So Sean eventually picked the stage name Brent Corrigan by flipping through a phone book. Brian was living large. Like I said, at this point, he began to get really controlling of Lockhart because he wanted to make sure his meal ticket couldn't get away. Constantly calling him and texting him, always had to know where he was and who he was with, and often insisted that he have sex with Lockhart, often in the middle of filming a scene. So by this point, Lockhart was starting to feel trapped. Part of him felt like he had to stay with the old man, as he often called Brian, because he knew he might have few offers if he went solo due to the stigma of having bareback sex, which is what I was saying earlier. So without Brian, there is the possibility that no other porn studio would actually hire him to work. And that's another stigma that it's adult male entertainers that do both gay and straight porn a lot of the time studios won't even hire them and because of the stigma surrounding HIV and AIDS. So that's another shitty part. But then part of him thought he had enough name recognition that he could make it on his own. So eventually he did move back to San Diego and it wasn't long after that he met Grant Roy, a successful and wealthy businessman. The two quickly hit it off and Sean eventually moved in with him and allowed him to become his new manager. Roy was really the one who cemented the idea in Sean's head that he did not need Brian, and that he could begin his own successful porn career as Brent Corrigan. The two hatched the plan to create a new website and start profiting off the Brent Corrigan brand alone. But that brings us back to Brian. And as I said before, he was not going down without a fight. He sued Lockhart for copyright infringement, and in turn, Lockhart sued Brian for fraudulent business practices, and finally came to the public with the truth. During an interview he did in September 2005, he revealed that he was underage during the first four films he shot with Cobra Video and had actually been using a fake ID. All four movies were quickly pulled from the shelves, but that just made them even more sought after and quickly made Brent Corrigan a household name even beyond the porn community. Now, many began joking and calling him the Tracy Lords of gay porn. Do you know who Tracy Lords is? I do. Really? I do. She was uh, underage when shooting a lot of her porn. Yeah, so she became infamous because back in the 80s, she was a huge porn star, uh, did multiple scenes with some of the biggest names in the porn industry, and quickly became one of the highest paid actresses until it was revealed that she was 16 when she filmed all of it. And this led to this like massive nationwide raid on every adult entertainment store, and they were just busting in, taking every copy, and burning them literally in the streets. And so people started joking with, that's Sean's the equivalent of Tracy Lords to the gay porn world, which it kind of is. This resulted in Brian's home being raided by police and the confiscation of several computers and video cameras while they continued their investigation. So things really came to a head for Sean when he was hired to star in a big-budget porn film from Falcon Studios, which is often called the MGM of gay porn studios. So, you know, this is like, I guess, the top of the top of the food chain in the porn, gay porn world, at least. The movie was called The Velvet Mafia, but due to the ongoing lawsuit, the studio refused to bill Sean as Brent Corrigan and instead gave him the name Fox Rider, and this made him furious, to which he responded by trashing the set and storming off. Not a good way to head into the future if you do have to use a different name. Definitely. Pissing off the major porn company. I mean, bad decisions. There's a lot of bad decisions in this. So, uh, yeah, a lot of another bad bad decision. It was during the filming of The Velvet Mafia, and it only gets worse, that one of Sean's co-stars, Caleb Carter, reported that he had a very strange conversation with Lockhart and his boyfriend Grant at their home. Apparently, Roy had mentioned to Carter and Lockhart that maybe they should hire a cleaner, a hitman, to take care of Brian. 
Now, Carter at first thought it was a joke, but Sean responded by chastising Roy, telling him, don't talk about those things with people we don't know. And now, could you imagine you're sitting there chilling with, like, your co-worker, and then their significant others just like, what if we just kill him? I guess, I guess that would solve things, uh, make a lot more trouble for yourself, but that is a solution to this problem. Uh, I guess, yeah, and can't argue that it's a solution for one problem that will cause a million other problems so uh now both roy and sean deny this conversation ever happened so who knows maybe he was telling the truth maybe he was just doing it to get a little clout but one interesting piece of information is that in a blog post written by roy around this time he listed himself as the cobra killer so it's not helping your case there. On a very interesting and eerie note is the detail is a detail in the plot of the Velvet Mafia. The plot is actually Sean Lockhart plays Fox Ryder, a good-looking young man from the sticks who is discovered by an infamous porn gay porn producer and becomes an overnight sensation. But he's eventually lured away by a rival porn producer and gunfire and homicide ensue. And if that's not the definition of foreshadowing. I think someone predicted the future. And I'm also going to go on by saying Fox Rider is a cooler name anyway. So I know it's like his moneymaker is his name, but, you know, if he had to live with one, Fox Rider's a pretty cool name. No, Fox Rider's not bad. I mean, if I saw it, I'd be like, Fox Rider? Hmm. That sounds like the name of a cool guy. <laughs> anyway... This leads us back to just five days before Brian was found murdered. Sean, Roy, Harlow, and Joe are all at dinner discussing the deal of a lifetime. Sean was later. Sean would later say that he didn't take it seriously and eventually spent most of the dinner getting drunk off wine, which that just sounds like me at dinner. Like I said before, Harlow and Joel, Joe were not about to let their money prospects be stopped by a single man, and they quickly offered Roy and Sean a solution. What if Brian left the country, Harlow asked. What if he went to Canada? <laughs> to which a drunk Sean responded, he'd just come back. Not a lot of smarts going on here. Obviously, Sean wasn't picking up the implication being made. So Harlow went further and explained how he knows someone who would do anything for him. Roy, on the other hand, was very much aware of the implication and quickly said, no, no, we don't need him to go to Canada. Which I'm sure Sean, in Sean's defense, he was drunk at this point and he thought they were just joking. So could you imagine sitting there and he's like, what are we, why is he going to Canada? He'd just come back, which makes logical sense. He could just come back. But uh, Roy eventually changed the subject and ended the dinner. After the dinner, Lockhart went back up to his room with Roy and passed out drunk on the bed. The very next day, Harlow used his credit card to purchase a $40 background check on Brian which contained his current address, which is, I didn't know you could do that. Can you do that, like $40, and you find out where someone lives? Uh, you can, a lot of times, just find out where somebody lives off of Google. So nothing is private anymore. That is true. And even today, this is back in 2007, so can you imagine yeah, how much? 2007, you had to pay somebody to do it. Now you can just Google it. Yeah, like where does yeah, Stacy from third period live? Harlow then created a new email address, and the first email sent from it was the Cobra video, and he introduced himself as Danny Mullen and simply said, I would like to model, smiley face. So there's that big plot twist. We finally figured out who Danny was. It wasn't a catfish, so this is one of the only times where it wasn't the catfish. Well, he was using a fake name. So the following day, surveillance cameras caught Harlow and Joel, Joe purchasing two items from a local pawn shop in Virginia Beach. A Sig Arms lock blade folding knife with a serrated edge and a Smith & Wesson 38 revolver. After that, the two rented a silver SUV and then booked a hotel in Plain Townships, Pennsylvania, only 11 miles from where Brian lived. They paid for the room in cash and got it for two nights. Also, the two bought a prepaid phone that was used to call Brian just two days before the murder. Not looking good for these two. Mm. The next night, Danny and Brian would finally meet face to face. Now, we are finally back to where we started. Brian had just been found brutally stabbed 28 times and nearly decapitated. His computer records show that the last person he talked to was a young model named Danny Mullen 
who was coming over the night poli- who was coming over that night. Police are able to figure out that Danny is actually a Virginia Beach escort named Harlow and that he and his boyfriend Joe are have connections to Sean Lockhart and Cobra Video. So the news of Brian's death spread like wildfire through the internet forums. A lot of people theorizing and trying to figure out what the hell happened and almost all of them seem to agree on one thing. The only person with the means and the motive to kill Brian was Sean Lockhart. So police immediately went to the home of Lockhart and Roy and began questioning them. And it turned out pretty quickly that, drum roll, neither of them had anything to do with Brian's murder. Both had alibis and both agreed to cooperate with the police. So Sean Lockhart is innocent. Sean did give the police one big piece of evidence when he revealed that the morning after Brian's murder, he received a phone call. It was from Harlow who told Sean to check out the news. When he did, he saw Brian had been murdered, and Harlow then just said, I guess my guy went overboard before hanging up. Now, the police acknowledged that Sean and Roy were not in any way involved with the physical murder of Brian, but that didn't have them convinced that they weren't aware of the plan to murder Brian. So, in order to fully clear their names, both agreed to wear wires and get Harlow and Joe to confess to them. Now, while all this is going on, police in Virginia Beach were ready to arrest Joe and Harlow on suspicion suspicion of murder and on february 10th 2007 at 6 a.m police and a swat team busted down the door to their house threw in tear gas and were fully ready to haul these bastards into jail but nobody was home (laughs) so very anticlimactic turns out harlow and joe both figured they'd have to disappear and lay low for a while and so they went on the run but police were able to find several video cameras and equipment that had the serial numbers scratched off of them that matched equipment missing from brian's house so not only did they murder him they robbed him and were stupid enough to keep it in their house Uh, they've done a lot of stupid things this doesn't surprise me now even though they were on the run that did not slow them down in the slightest in promoting and continuing to run their escort business the two began posting all over the internet forums debating the murder promoting their website, boybatter.com, and even offering up a special deal for role-play specials, where Harlow would act like a serial killer. Joe promoted the service to clients by saying, Harlow's not a killer, but he'll act like one if you want him to. So, I mean, the hustle does not stop, and these two take it to a whole new extreme. Don't hate the player. Hate Hate the the game. game. Unless the game is murder. So Roy and Lockhart agreed to work with the police in order to clear their names. But first they had to figure out where the hell Harlow and Joe were. But that didn't take them long because on March 3rd, Roy received an email from Harlow which read, Hey Grant, it's Harlow. So when are we going to start filming? You know we had an agreement. Not even three minutes later, Roy received another email that read, We all know what you said to us at the AVN Awards in Vegas. And we have it on tape recorder. Do not fuck with us. So they're, uh, they, they got some big balls just messaging people like that. They got work to do. They do. The hustle don't stop. So in cooperation with police, Roy set up a meeting in San Diego to discuss the deal. On April 27th, the four met and had dinner. Roy asked if Brian had felt any pain when he died, to which Harlow responded by whispering to Sean, Don't worry, he went quick. But it wasn't until the next day when the four went to a local nude beach that police were able to get their smoking gun. And again, could you imagine someone whispering that to you like you're sitting two feet away from a suspected killer? That would be creepy. After a few hours of making small talk and running around nude, the conversation turned back to Brian. Harlow was very open this time around because he believed that since all of them were naked, none of them had a wire. But Roy had a wire, which I couldn't find exactly where that wire was hidden. But apparently he did have a wire somewhere. So uh, leave you something to think about. Maybe somebody can figure that out and send it in and tell us how. where where does a wire go on a naked person. I mean, there are places that I su- suspect that you can hide it. I just don't know if those would be very practical. Harlow went on to say he never saw it coming. Seeing that fucker go down, actually, it's sick, but it made me feel better inside. It almost feels like I got revenge, and I know that sounds fucked up. This was all police needed, and on May 15th, they arrested both Harlow and Joe, both of whom completely denied being involved in any way with the murder. 
In order to pay for his legal fees, Harlow actually sold teddy bears and thongs that had free Harlow on them. So there are people out there with thongs that have free Harlow on them who, spoiler alert, is a killer. So now Joe pleaded guilty to first-degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison. But Harlow continued to plead his innocence and went to trial where a jury unanimously found him guilty and sentenced him to life in prison. Harlow has appealed his sentence three times, and all three times they have been denied. Now, Harlow has been has pr pretty much refused to ever give interviews. But Joe seems to be more open and has actually taken at least some responsibility for the murder, saying in an interview he did in 2016 following the release of the King Cobra movie, I originally had second thoughts. I told Harlow we don't need to do this. We have way more money than Brian. To which Harlow apparently said, All right then, let's not. We've just wasted all this time and money. And he knows that would strike a chord with me because I hate wasting money. And so I said, fuck it, let's do it. Since then, their website has been taken down, but three videos from Boy Batter still exist, and they are called Major Hard On, Boy Splatter, and Young Bucks and Heat. So R.I.P. Boy Batter. And to wrap this up for you by telling you whatever happened to Baby Corrigan, Sean Lockhart eventually was officially cleared of any and all involvement with the murder of his former boss, Brian. But the damage was done. He became a pariah in the porn industry and few people wanted to work with him. He eventually ended up selling underwear at American Apparel, but in recent years has begun to get back at, back into porn. Now, uh, we've got to talk about two things. First thing, the King Cobra movie. It was 2016. It's got like uh, Christian Slater, James Franco, and uh, Toby from Pretty Little Liars in it. And it was actually pretty good. We watched that right before we did this, and I didn't tell him anything about it, but I was like, let's just watch this movie. It's about gay porn and murder. And vipers. And vipers. The car. <laughs> the car. I was about to say vipers. I don't, the snake? No, oh. the car. Because Harlow... Has a viper. Has a viper. That's why he's done all this. Because he wanted to keep that viper. I mean, I've never been a car person. I'm like, if it gets me from point A to point B without exploding, I'm content with it. But I do understand there are some people that take cars very seriously. Very uh, seriously. Murder-worthy seriously. <laughs> and now, also to talk about Sean Lockhart, you actually... Do you you've seen Chillerama, haven't you? I have seen Chillerama. And for anyone that's not seen Chillerama, it's this cheesy like drive-in anthology movie from 2011. It's really good, but the segment I was a teenage werebear, the main guy in that is actually Sean Lockhart. Really? Yeah. So he went from twink to werebear. He did and how the mighty have fallen. And I was a teenage werebear, not to spoil too much, but it's a parody on the Teen Beach and werewolf movies from the 50s. But instead of uh, turning into a werewolf, it's twinks that get bitten and turn into bears. So highly recommend it after you've finished listening here. But anyway, so that's what happened to Sean. Except Brian seemed to get the last laugh, last laugh, even in death, because right before he died, he set up a website that would re release free Brent Corrigan videos online in order to muddle the market and lower the value of any video Sean might try to make and profit off of because big twist. This actually is the big twist because I kind of intentionally left this out at the start of this, that big year long lawsuit between Brian and Lockhart over the name Brent Corrigan and was the inciting incident in all of this. Well, it was actually settled just a few days after the original meeting between Lockhart, Roy Harlow and Joe. And the verdict was Lockhart was a free agent and allowed to use the name Brent Corrigan any way he wanted and in any video, which Harlow and Joe were apparently unaware of. So all of this was for absolutely nothing. The end. Wow. So, wait, didn't he say at dinner that he couldn't use that name? Or that was the first dinner? That was that was the dinner. That was technically, I think, the only time they actually met in person. And so, like, immediately after that, he got the, the clear to use it. And I guess he just didn't tell them or he couldn't get a hold of them. And so they uh, they still went through with the murder for absolutely nothing. And that just goes to show how meaningless meaningless and senseless all of this was. And so many people got used. Used upon, used upon, used upon, used. And it's, it's really sad. It is. It's very sad. The murder, the death, it's very sad. People wasting their lives, throwing away their lives to be put in jail over a senseless murder. And also I think it's 
sad just the way some young people that do decide to go into sex work in the porn industry had the potential of being taken advantage of greatly. I think this actually kind of works as a cautionary tale, like, you know, know your worth and don't let anyone try to tell you how much you're worth or steal your money and make two million a year while you only make two thousand dollars. It's true. And that is the King Cobra murder. So what do you think? Good first episode? I think it was a good first episode. Uh, again, pretty crazy. Like, lots and lots of bad decisions. Lots of people using people. Uh, definitely a recipe for murder. I mean, no matter what happened, it wasn't going to end well for a lot of the people in this story. No, I think it was kind of like a... Uh... Just a ticking time bomb. Something was going to explode. Pressure cooker. That's what I'm thinking. It was like a pressure cooker. Yeah, just you just keep explode. adding these ingredients in, and then all of a sudden. And then I think there was a lot of just some people that did not make smart decisions. Like, they didn't think things through. And just may have not been, I don't want to say this, but may have not been smart. Because some of the things they done, they had, had to have known or that they would be instantly caught for this. So they, uh, it wasn't even, I think like, yes, they might not have been smart, especially Joe and Harlow. Joe and Harlow. It's it's the two that I'm, I'm talking about. It's, I think also part of it is just a lot, a, a lot of cases with like murders like these is that you're blinded by the money or the prospect of money. And, that's another thing. It all boils down to money. And I think they were seeing dollar signs when they were like, let's just kill a man. Yes, very sad, very tragic. And tune in next week for a whole new true crime case. And if you guys enjoyed this episode, please give us a review. Give us a five-star rating. And you can follow us on TikTok at Beers with Queers, Instagram or Twitter at Beers with Queers Pod. Or YouTube at Beers with Queers, a true crime podcast. We post photos and evidence from every case we do on here. So if you're more of a visual learner than an auditory learner, hit us up. Thanks again. Thank you so much.